0: Here in Alabama, I'm Beth McGinnis. In the last episode, you heard some of my conversations with Mr. Paul Bell, the Miko or Ceremonial Chief for the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Along with my colleagues, Stephen Potasik and Teresa Davidson, I've been going to South Alabama to get to know the porch for a couple years now. We found them to be warm, hospitable, and gracious people who have a great deal to teach us about living in this world we all share. Before continuing our conversation with Miko Paul, I want to tell you a little bit about the history of the Porch Creek Indians. I've learned a lot from talking with some of them and from going to their Southeastern Indian Festival and the annual Thanksgiving powwow they host. You should go too. These were amazing experiences. You don't have to go to Porch to learn about the porch, though. They have an excellent website, pci-nsn.gov. Their YouTube channel, also excellent, is PBCI Calvin McGee Cultural Department. I've included links to both on the Educator Resources page of my website here in alabama.com. The best way to learn about porch history is to hear it from them, So what I'm about to tell you is based on their website. I'll summarize, and I'll do my best to get it right. I grew up in Alabama and Georgia. I went to college in Alabama, went away to graduate school, and returned to live and work in Alabama. I've now lived here in Alabama longer than anywhere else. That means I have lived almost my whole life in the ancestral homelands of the Muscogee Creek people. Centuries before I was born, they cared for this land. European settlement brought violence and disease and scattered the indigenous populations in the 16th century. In the 17th century, some of these groups joined together and settled along rivers. They became the Creek Nation. They made treaties with the U.S. government. They did business with settlers and travelers through Indian territory. By 1830, their population was about 22,000 people. More and more settlers came to Indian territory. This created conflict, not just between the Creeks and the settlers, but within the tribe and even within families. Some thought it was best to assimilate, blend in with the settlers' culture, and try to keep the peace. Others wanted to resist. They were called the Red Sticks because they raised the Red Stick of War, which was tantamount to a war declaration. Here, I want to quote directly from the Porch website, because I can't tell this story as well as they do. This is their account of the war that followed. In 1813, an attack on peaceful Creek towns prompted the Red Sticks to retaliate, beginning the Creek or Red Stick War. Creeks and settlers alike sought shelter at Fort Mims, about 20 miles west of present-day Porch. However, the Red Sticks were able to breach the fort, and what followed was a fierce battle of which few survived. Though the dispute began as a tribal civil war, it soon transformed into an American war against the Creeks. The U.S. Army and various state militias joined the battle against the Red Sticks as an opportunity to eradicate Creek power. The strategy was successful. The final battle at Horseshoe Bend resulted in the total defeat of the Creek Nation. Subsequently, General Andrew Jackson forced the surviving Creeks to sign the Treaty of Fort Jackson in 1814, ceding much of their ancestral homelands to the U.S. government. That's the end of the quote. You probably know some of what happened next. The Creek homelands abounded in natural resources. There was gold in Georgia. Farmland in Alabama was rich, largely because of the wise stewardship of the Creek people. The settlers wanted those resources. In 1830, Congress passed the Indian Removal Act. I'll quote again from the Porch website. The Indian Removal came to be known as the Trail of Tears because of the destruction and human suffering it caused. With the promise of unsettled land elsewhere, the tribes were forcibly marched more than 1,000 miles west across nine states to live in what would become Oklahoma. Those who resisted removal were forced out at gunpoint with no time to collect their belongings, their homes looted by white settlers as they left. Of the 22,000 Creek Indians who set out on the Trail of Tears, only half actually made it to Oklahoma. The beginning of the Porch Creek Indians was a small group of families in the Tensaw community who were not removed, Because they had been loyal to the U.S. government and had provided useful services, they were allowed to stay and were given land grants. However, timber companies had bought up so much land that there wasn't enough left around the Tensaw Settlement for land grants. So, these families moved away from the Alabama River into the Porch area. Eventually, they became a tribe unto themselves. They endured hardship and discrimination. They were cheated out of their land grants. They moved around to find work and often worked as sharecroppers. Some moved away from the region entirely. By the late 1800s the porch were keeping mostly to themselves. A system of discriminatory laws developed comparable to Jim Crow laws against black people. There were Indian-only schools, churches, and a cemetery. Episcopal missionaries Robert and Anna Macy came in 1929. They ministered to the porch people attending to their basic and spiritual needs. Christianity is still intertwined with the porch culture today. Tribal member Mallory Rowland told me that without Christianity, there is no porch. By the early 20th century, the porch were actively fighting the system of discrimination. They made great strides in the areas of education and self-determination. They developed land claims. Today, the Porch Creek Indians are the only federally recognized native tribe in Alabama. They are a sovereign nation, and their members have dual citizenship. The Porch fought hard for this recognition. The cultural department and YouTube channel I mentioned earlier are named for Chief Calvin McGee, who spent his life advocating for tribal recognition and human rights. He was well known for this work, but he wasn't alone in it by any stretch. Chief McGee was keenly aware of the stereotypes other people held about Native Americans, and he was brilliant in how he played with those stereotypes. For instance, feather headdresses are not part of Creek culture, but Chief McGee knew that many people expected to see an Indian chief decked out in a feather headdress. So he wore one when he went out to fight for tribal rights. He traveled to Washington, D.C. to talk to lawmakers, and he met President Kennedy. Kennedy said, I've never met a blue-eyed Indian. Calvin McGee said, now you have. In subtle and strategic ways, Chief McGee met other people where they were in their understanding of Native Americans, then helped open a deeper understanding. The porch continued to carry out his legacy. Paul Bell certainly opened a deeper understanding for me and my colleagues when we spoke with him in the spring of 2022. He is the Miko for the porch, which means he's the ceremonial chief. I ask him about his role within the tribe. And I imagine learning to lead the songs, the men lead the songs. Yeah. Um, learning that probably takes your whole life.
1: The, the, you know, the way they told us to along when we first started learning, uh, they told us the easiest way to, get, to learn your song is to... Uh, come to dances and listen, then go outside by yourself and just go around a tree and start trying to remember, and you'll pick up a little bit, and you practice by yourself going around that tree, you know.
0: Remember that most of the creeks were forcibly removed to what became Oklahoma through the Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears? Now, some of the Porch Creek Indians travel regularly to Oklahoma to reconnect with relatives and with their cultural
1: heritage. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been to Oklahoma because uh, most of us learned in Oklahoma. Basically, we had lost it here. Uh-huh. And uh, we over the years, most of us went back and forth to Oklahoma to relearn it and bring it back this way. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it wasn't that's the reason a lot of our language most of the people don't speak the language uh is because you know you didn't you was trying not not say a creep word around nobody because you know you know he's he's dirty Indian you know or you know some uh, stigmatize somebody you know uh so you was just trying to get by because a lot of times you're you were just wanting any kind of job a lot of the time you know so me, if anything, you were trying to pass for white, you know, uh-huh. if you could, uh-huh. you know, a lot of them. That's sad to say, but that that's just the way it was, because you going to feed your family, you know, you right, you'll pretty well do anything,
2: yeah.
1: You know. but that that's that's the way our our people, and we, but we ended up losing a lot when we done that.
0: Mm-hmm. So you had to go back to Oklahoma or go to Oklahoma and learn from the creeks there. Yeah and relearn the language. Yeah,
1: basically, as far as just language and dance, really. hmm Uh, because the first thing that we noticed when we first started going back to Oklahoma, you know, we were saying, we were thinking, what, well, you know, how much different can they be, you know? And then we get over there, find out they're eating the same foods that we eat, and they cook just like we do for the most part. Oh, wow. And, uh, that, that, that just kind of blew our mind, uh, you know. We uh, go over and go, oh, I ain't going to tell them what I'm going to eat, it, you know. You know, it's like if you went to a foreign country for the first time, you thinking, now what's this food really got in it, you know. Sure. And uh, what we found out it's basically the same thing Mama cooked, you know.
0: <laughs> what are some of those foods?
1: Uh, peas and corn and uh, collard greens mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they have corn drinks that we basically you wouldn't see around here much no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see it out there at one of our buildings, uh, Maori and them, would fix them uh, just like corn and uh, meat cooked together
2: uh-huh.
1: into a soup,
2: uh-huh.
1: or like they would take blueberries and make dumplings, and wild blueberries and make dumplings, mm-hmm. or. They make their cornbread a little sour. Uh One of the guys was talking about it this morning. The the lady told him how to make it in Oklahoma, and he come home, tried it, and he said, well, how, because you make, you put all your stuff in, you stir it up, then you set it up for a little bit, and you're supposed to let your uh, cornbread sour
0: before you cook it. Okay. (laughs)
1: And uh, he asked her, well, how long do you let it cook, uh, you know, set it out there and sour? And she said, till it smells like your feet. Oh,
2: no. <laughs> and
1: he, so he come back. The first thing he did was mix up her recipe and set it out there. And when it got just, he, he, he listened to what she said. And he said, when it got stinking real bad, <laughs> then he cooked it. And he said, he couldn't eat it. He tried every way, to, you know. And he said, I can pretty well eat anything. Mm. And he said, and I said, well, the dog eat it. If nothing else, he'd <laughs> it out there and the dog ran up there to sniff it. And then the dog just took off. Wow. It, it was too bad for the dog, dude.
0: Uh, <laughs> I guess so.
1: But uh, mainly the vegetables that we eat over here or, you know, that you can grow within a garden or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they basically eat the same thing.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, uh, people who went to Oklahoma had discovered that these that these food traditions had been sort of passed down the same uh-huh. way. But also, there was for you all there was loss of language and the dances, and so yeah. those you had to relearn.
1: Yeah, because um, most of our stuff, once they kind of lost, started losing their language because they was more or less ashamed.
0: Here's something I'm learning not all the porch creek indians like to talk about loss of language loss of dances loss of culture one of their leaders said to me that if one person remembers one word in the muskogee language the language is not lost miko paul didn't seem to be bothered by the word loss but that's different for some people it's a good reminder for me to listen more and talk less and pay attention to what the person in front of me is saying.
1: You know, or somebody, uh, another Indian within the town or whatever, or this place, would say, oh, don't be talking that Indian talk. Don't be talking that Indian talk. Wow. And they wouldn't teach your kids uh, because they was ashamed and because and they knew what the consequences, you know. They didn't want to be called, you know, bad terms, you know. Mm. And... uh So it just kind of ended up fading away. Mm -hmm. And they knew they had to send their kids to school to learn English, so they just started teaching them English Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, these days, you know, we started teaching our kids, you know, the language. But back then, you know, all they was thinking about was, you know, keeping my family safe, you know. And and having a job to be able to feed them, that was their main concern.
0: Mm -hmm. It seems like these days there's a lot of pride in the Creek language and the dances and the traditions, Um, but it seems like you've had to work on that, had to build up that pride.
1: Yeah. Like, I've been going back and forth to Oklahoma at least 25 years one or two times a le- year at least, basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they, some of them, has been doing it longer than that. Trying to learn language and just getting uh, different things that we might have th- think that we missed or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, little stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we've learned a lot by lear- relearning our language because it's a totally different thing you know, it was like I was telling the kids us we didn't we didn't have a word for, you know, goodbye. We'd say how dumb Jesus Yoselis, and to see each other later. You know, and and the way the old ones would tell us that when we'd say like yes don't go to each other, it wasn't just like it's supposed to be used for a, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know. But when they said it, they it, it it was a different way of saying it. They was really wanting to know how you were.
2: Oh, yes.
1: Uh because they were a you know, real close knit uh-huh. family. A lot of times, I don't I don't think for the first ten or fifteen years, I was allowed to go to a hotel. You know, that was they, uh, you always went and stayed with somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And it'd have been real bad manner if I'd turned somebody down. Right. Yeah. You know, and then basically, we do the same thing. So, we can, it kind of retold us that when they come down here, you know, then we're not going to say, well, we'll find you a motel. First, we'll invite them. If they want to go to a motel, we'll try to pick them a motel. We'll give them a motel. But we'll invite them to stay with us, you know. Mm
2: hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So would, it kind of brought that closeness, you know, bringing that closeness back.
0: Yes. The good manners and the hospitality that you were talking about with uh-huh. the school children. But it, it makes you close. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to a conversation between Miko, Paul, and just me. A little later, my colleagues Teresa Davidson and Stephen Potasik joined us. I wanted them to hear about the trips to Oklahoma. You were telling me about going to Oklahoma a couple times a year. You you've, you've yep. gone for the past twenty five years, and yeah. many other people going to Oklahoma to learn and revive some of the language and yeah. the dances that were lost here. Would you tell my colleagues a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, we. Uh, they was, long time ago, there was a man that come used to come from Creek Nation down here, and his name was Tima Tiger. He's the first one I remember coming through this area, I was real young. I never did even get to meet him. I knew of him, but I never got to meet him at the time he was coming. But he come through and he got people kind of interested cuz we didn't we didn't know what it was. You know, we didn't we didn't know songs, we didn't know the language except they was there was still a few words that was going around, but they weren't sure if it was Creek or Choctaw or, or what language it was or something just made up, you know. And uh, they went back to, to cassettes where they record elders and, and, and found that, they, you know, they might not, we made some softy or something like that. That's a Creek food. But they, they didn't know where it come from, you know, and all that. And then when they started kind of going, he come through, and then he said, yeah, yeah, that's we—that's what—that's a Creek's thing. Well, then that kind of got them interested, and just one thing got, and some of us started going to Oklahoma and uh, learning, finding out who we can, to. We found out we can to some out there, you know. And then uh, the songs, we started learning songs and and just the different language stuff or whatever, and then they would come. We'd go out there uh, during the wintertime because they consider, the creek considered that a time of learning. And uh, we'd go out there in the wintertime when it wasn't busy uh, here and uh, try to learn. And a lot of people, even in Oklahoma, the Creeks out there would not learning. Some of them, like, if you see him riding around, and, uh, ding, ding, you'll hear him say ding, ding, or whatever. His uncle and all them used to go out there a long time ago. And uh, a lot of Creeks out there didn't even want to learn some of the, the old songs that needed to be sung. Hmm. They done got lazy. Well, uh, Ding, Ding and them started learning the song, and then they got jealous, <laughs> you know? <laughs> we was more eager to learn than the people that was, you know, that was out there. <laughs> so they would spend a little extra time with us. And uh, a lot of the kids, they, they wasn't, the old people out there, they wouldn't, you could ask them anything after 12 o'clock. At night. And I think they wouldn't tell you nothing. You wouldn't. You go to I'm, my first green corn. I didn't know nothing, but what, what what you tell me next to do? You know? <laughs> what you tell me next to do? But after twelve, uh, the old people would sit down and they would answer all your question. Why why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? You know. But it had to be start to start a new day or whatever, uh, and we learned. We'd go out there and we'd. A lot of times we would stay with somebody, but we didn't sleep. Because, no. <laughs> you know, unless we went, a lot of times we would stay up all night at the house sitting around the table. You know, and the next day we might get us a nap at the ground. We'd go back to the grounds and then take a nap. <laughs> but we was trying to learn. So, you know, and there was a lot of them out there that wouldn't learn. I didn't want to know. I mean, they just, they just know that they were dancing all night. They didn't know why.
0: <laughs> is after midnight a time for learning just as winter is a time for learning?
1: Yeah. The winter time is more of a time for learning because that's when you're letting your grounds rest. You don't, that's really you don't dance. When you close your ground down for the year, you're letting it heal. Basically, they say you're letting it heal.
0: What Miko Paul was telling us reminded me of the verse in Ecclesiastes 3, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. It also reminded me of classical Indian music from India. That music is organized according to ragas, which are modes or collections of pitches. Each raga is specific to certain moods, activities, times of day or year, and all sorts of other things. To start your day with an evening raga would throw the whole day off. According to Miko Paul, the porch have certain times of day and certain times of year for various activities. There's good reason for these associations. In the last episode, Miko Paul mentioned the green corn ceremony, which is for the new year, not January 1st, but in the summer when the corn harvest starts to be ready.
1: I feel nervous. The Choctaws today, they they do a lot of animal dances and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They certain times of the year that creeps do animal dances. And this is not time of the year that we we uh, do dances. They certain dances at certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. Sort of like our stuff is set just like our green corn. Uh, it's more or less a celebration of our uh, corn getting ready. Mm-hmm. It also starts our new year. Mm-hmm. Our new year starts in June, end of June or uh, first of July or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And we we'll usually, when we dance during that time, we have different songs. Mm-hmm. Then after that, there's just a lot of animal songs that we can sing when we start in the new year. We can sing them up to Probably October, early November or whatever, whenever we quit uh, dancing in our grounds.
0: The Porch Creek Indians learn from the stories and learn from the songs. At the 2023 Southeastern Indian Festival, my colleagues and I heard the Cherokee storyteller and national treasure, Chuji Kingfisher. At the festival, Mr. Kingfisher told how Corn Mother had given songs and stories to the people. In Mr. Kingfisher's story, stories and songs are central. Mr. Kingfisher told a story about the (speaking) groundhog.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. And the wolves got ready to jump at the groundhog and the groundhog said, Wait a minute. That's only the first verse. I got six more to sing. Oh, said the wolves. They were so hungry. And they said, Okay, okay. Where do you need to go next? So the groundhog, he began to look around. He said, I need to go stand by that blackjack tree over there. So they stood by the blackjack tree, and he continued to move on through the forest, pouring out different trees, dancing, and the wolves were getting tired, they were hungry. And as he stood there, the groundhog, he began to sing, and as he began to sing, the wolves danced. And the groundhog continued to sing, and the wolves danced. And the groundhog continued to sing, and the wolves danced, and they were way out there, further than they had ever been. And the groundhog, oh, yay, and he turned them around. And just as they turned around, they could see the groundhog running. The groundhog had fooled the wolves. You see, every time he was moving to a tree, he was moving closer to his home that cedar tree stood there next to his stump as the groundhog took off running the wolf saw what was going on and said get in get him before he gets away and one of the fastest wolves ran so fast that he jumped out and just as the groundhog was diving into his hole underneath that stump the wolf grabbed his tail he yanked on that tail and the tail popped off. But Brownhog got away. Brownhog sat there in his home, very relieved, very sad that he lost his beautiful tail, but very relieved that he was still alive. And he stood there in that, in his home, listing, up on top of the ground, as those seven wolves fought over that tail, chewing on hair and bone. The groundhog sat there, very happy to be alive. Whenever you're out and about and you see a groundhog running on top of the ground, but very close, that you'll notice that he still doesn't have that long tail. It's just that short little stubby thing. And if that groundhog sees you, he will take off running. And he will dive into his hole. And if you can find his home, Stand there close by and listen very carefully, and if you listen close enough, you might hear the groundhog singing, "Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah," trying to get you to dance away.
0: According to Mister Kingfisher, we don't just learn from stories and songs; they are part of healing. Mister Kingfisher said, "Medicine, when you drink it, good stories are behind it." Stories also teach us how to live. In the story Mr. Kingfisher told, Corn Mother gives life itself. But she also teaches us how to get along with this world around us.
3: Kanate was a great hunter. Canate, whenever they were looking for food, whenever they were needed game or needed something, they would always go to Kanate, and they would, they would tell him what they needed. One day as Kanate was out hunting, he noticed that there were no deer. He noticed there were no squirrels, no rabbits, no birds, no fish. He came back home for the first time in his life empty handed He sent the women out to look for roots and berries. But there were none. The land had dried up. The people began to starve when they came to Kanate. And they asked him, Sir, go and see what we can do. So Kanata, he took his medicine and he went to a high mountain. And there he prayed and he fasted. He waited on an answer. For four days and for four nights, he sat on that mountaintop, prayed. he sat there on that mountain and on that fifth day, when he woke up, the breeze was blowing much like it is today. And over that breeze, he could hear... A song. A song he had never heard before. So he got up. And he began to follow that song. He followed that song down into the valley. Up the mountainside and there on the top. He continued to follow that song. And when he would rest, that song would sing to him. When he would stop to eat, that song would sing to him. And he was more determined every time to find where it was coming from. He came to a very large field, and there, there was a single plant in the very middle, much like this pole is right here. And in that, that plant, that sun was shining down on it. And Kanate knew that's where that music was coming from. He walked up to it. He'd never seen this plant before. It was tall and green. It had. Oh no! sing such beautiful songs. Every, every time she would finish, she would ke- tell Kanate that is how you use that song. Whenever you go hunting, sing this song. Whenever you go fishing, sing this song. Whenever you do this, sing this song. Whenever you do that, sing this song. Many of the dances that you're seeing here today from our Cherokee people Are those songs that Corn Mother gave to us? And Dante sat there for those seven days and seven nights learning those songs. And when it was done, he took the ears of corn, those many different colors, and he took them home. He showed the people how to plant, he showed them and taught them the songs that whenever they planted, they should see. Whenever they went out there to take care of those corn that they should see. Whenever they went hunting, they should sing. Whenever they went fishing, they should sing. Whenever they should raise those babies up, they should sing. And the people that flourished, the people that grew, and they took that corn and they scattered it across the earth. Today, you can find corn in many wonderful countries still feeding people. Today, You can find our people still singing these songs. When we go hunting, when we go fishing, when we're taking care of our children, we still sing these songs because they're still very important to us. We show you these dances and we sing these songs to you because we want you to hear because they're very important that maybe in your life you might use them too. Today, we're thankful for the gifts that Corn Mother gave us not only of life herself, but to teach us how to get along with this world around us.
0: The Porch Creek Indians hold the Southeastern Indian Festival every spring to teach local school about Native cultures and traditions. It strikes me that they're doing the same thing as Corn Mother, teaching how to get along with this world around us. I think I have so much to learn from the porch when it comes to that. The very first thing I saw when I went to the 2022 Southeastern Indian Festival was Miko Paul Bell and others teaching the school children about the stomp dance. Okay. 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 Yes. Um, I heard you... Telling about the stomp dance to the school children who are here, and you had such a beautiful explanation of the stomp dance. You were telling the school children that it's prayers, that yeah. every dance is a prayer. Yeah. My colleague Stephen Potasik wanted to hear more about the dancing and singing being acts of prayer.
2: Talk to us a little bit about the prayers and what 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 the ritual
1: was there for them just about all our songs is considered Were necessarily it might not be talking directly about a prayer praying but the majority of the songs was about the prayer praying to the creator to give them strength, protect their village uh, protect their children you know and uh, all all their ceremony was built on that because their belief system, everything was for the Creator. It wasn't about them. It was their, everything. That they was wanting to show the Creator. Even way back when uh, four white people come and stuff like that, I mean, they were still talking about, you know, praying. Um, and some of the older ones believed something about their they would catch the Milky Way and ride the Milky Way to heaven. You know, they we don't know how. You know, unless it was a, a, a God, our Creator, whatever, speaking through them, or because at that time, you know, it's like a lot of things you see on some of these scientific uh, shows about. Now, how did they know that that planet was up there? Because you know, at this angle, at this place, you can't see that planet. But they knew about that planet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's stuff like that that uh, that had to they had to learn some way. But you're not sure how they learned it. And that's that's kind of like the thing on the Milky Way. You know, we weren't sure that they could even see a Milky Way. You know, we know it was a lot cleaner. You know, the environment was cleaner. But still, uh, you know, you just don't think of them seeing that. You know, so you know, uh, they, were, they were speaking to a creator, you know. And they, I think they believed a lot more than people believe nowadays, uh, because they looked at it; their life depended on it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know how in the Bible it talks about uh, the donkey. I don't forget who it was, but. Uh, speaking to the man on the road or Balaam, whatever. Balaam's... Might have
0: been. Balaam's ass, Balaam's donkey.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, see, uh, the first medicine that was brought to the creek, as is told, was brought by a deer. A deer coming. They were, uh, they didn't, before they had any medicine or whatever, uh, the creator a creator, sent them a deer to give them their first medicine. And, uh, the deer talked to them in Creek or whatever. Uh, the Creator spoke to them through that deer, because you know they say, "Well, you can't talk to animals or whatever." Well, you might not can, you know, baby, back then. But you know, if the Creator Creator spoke through it, you know, then they naturally gonna understand it, you know.
0: Both Paul Bell and Chuji Kingfisher talked about songs as prayers, communication with the creator. Here's Mr. Kingfisher.
3: An elder came up to me and he said, whenever you play, he said, I've watched you. He said, whenever you play, you play the way that you're supposed to. He said, because our songs are meant for that moment, that time. He said, it's a prayer. He said, you're praying from here He said, when you pray, when you play from here, he said, this gets in the way. Because when you think about it, then you're trying to, let me try this, let me try this, let me try this, and it doesn't flow. When you think about something else and you just play from here, then it flows. He said, that's the way nature does. They said so nature doesn't worry about what note it's going to play next. A bird doesn't worry about what, what song it's going to say next. It just sings. And so that's the way this should be.
0: And back to Miko Paul.
1: Like I was telling the kids earlier, we dance around the fire in the middle. Uh, it's not only to smoke, to take our prayers to heaven, but uh, it's also to, to make a to light us up a little bit. That's the reason a lot of times you'll see us wearing uh, flashy clothes a little bit, some more than the others. Because uh, we're making sure the Creator's seeing us because we want him to know if we're out there, we're we, uh, using the strength you give us uh, the dance or whatever. I mean, it, it, and the blaze off the fire usually, you know, tell tell that, you know, they, they but we know that the Creator can see us where it's dark or light. But you know, it just brightens our clothes up, makes our clothes shine. More.
0: When my colleagues and I reflected on our conversation with Miko Paul, Stephen Patasik remembered Psalm 141. Um, I do remember Miko Paul talking about the dances and saying, "All of the dances are." Prayers mm. there, and yeah. the the fire, um, the smoke of the fire carries the prayers yeah. to the creator, but also the blaze of the fire, and also the colors of the outfits, um, yeah. will are meant for the creator to see. Yeah, and Miko Paul said the creator is going to see us anyway, but we've got these bright colors um, to call attention. To us, in the eyes of the Creator, and um, so the Creator will see we're doing we're doing well. We're taking care of ourselves, doing what we're supposed to do.
2: It reminds me of this. There's a psalm where it says something like, "Your prayers are like
0: incense.
2: Uh, your prayers are like incense, you know, to the Lord." And just that idea of the smoke carrying the prayers. Yeah.
0: We learned from both Paul Bell and Shoji Kingfisher that prayer goes hand in hand with fasting. Before I lose that question, I was wondering, is there fasting in Creek tradition?
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot more than what you see in the church. Really? Yeah, I mean, I was raised in church. I still go to church, whatever. Yes. Uh, but in Creek, it, it's, when we're going to have like a medicine dance, mm-hmm. we're going to at least do a 24-hour pa- a fast.
0: Yes. No water
1: or nothing or whatever. Yes. Uh, cause we gonna we try and let our body clean itself before we take the medicine. Then once we take the medicine, you know, and then we'll leave it on a little bit or whatever, and then we'll wash it off. Then we can go back to drinking, mm-hmm. you know, water or whatever. Sure. Uh, but we take we. We love to do that often every time, you know, and then we always tell each other, you know, if you're having a problem, you know, you can fast about it, you know, and pray about it. Mm -hmm. And I tend, if they ask me, I tend to pull my grandma out and go to talking about her. And um, my grandma would tell me, uh, if you have a problem, get down on your knees and pray. Mm-hmm. until you get some satisfaction, you know. They ask right. and pray. You don't make no, long, make no distance how long you got to be there.
0: Right, right. You know,
1: if you want the answer, you'll stay there,
0: you know. Oh, wow. Yes. You know. Yes. So that's
1: what I tend to tell them. I say, you got to be dedicated to it. hmm You know.
0: Mm-hmm. It was striking to me that children fast, too. They're brought up that way.
1: You know, a lot of fasting, a lot of praying. All their kids was brought up like that. They, you know, they would, Basically, your kids fasted, too, after a certain age, you know, maybe 10, 11, you know. Uh, little kids, they didn't they didn't so much, you know, and they know little kids had to eat. Uh, but, but they would teach them, you know, how important it was, you know. Um, but it was just like an integral part of what they was, you know, what what they was about.
0: Tuji Kingfisher told us a story that tied together a lot of what we were learning from both him and Paul Bell. Mr. Kingfisher is not just a storyteller, but also a flute player. He told us that a story or a song is for a particular moment in time, and it's unique to that moment. It has to be right for that moment, and it should come from the heart of the singer, the storyteller, or the flute player. When it does, it has the power to heal.
3: Now you're going, to find, you're going to find when you begin to research the Native American flute that, that there's going to be things like, especially for Cherokee, you're going to find the Cherokee Morning Song as in the day, you're going to find Cherokee Morning Song as in sadness, you're going to find the Cherokee Wedding Song, you're going to find all these different things. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Huh. Our songs are meant for that moment and that time. We were one of the few tribes that allowed our children to choose their own mates. We utilized a River King flute. When that man was interested in that young lady, then he would make a flute, which was a side-blown flute with three holes, record it in the Soto's writings when he came into a Cherokee village. They recorded that flute as well as a few others. That three-hole flute was played for that young lady, if she liked the gentleman, if she liked the song, then they would eventually get married. That's how important that song was, was it was for that moment, that time. He had to get it right, right then. After they got married, that flute was broken in half because he didn't want anyone to steal his wife away from him. That's how powerful he thought that song was and he didn't want it played again on that flute. And so that's how important these songs are for that moment, that time, that they have to be right and they can't be right when this gets in the way. You know, you think about our daily lives when we go about, when we go about things. If we put too much thought into it, then it messes up. And so that's why we say, when we play, we play from here, we're praying. Whenever I go to any school, whenever I go to anywhere, when I'm, when I'm playing, I always make mention. This song's for you guys. that always said that whenever you think back to this day, think back to that song and let it heal you because these songs have power. Think back to this. And if you're sad, think back to this and let it bring a smile to your face. You're better. You're better. That's as simple as it gets. And, and, and so when we play and when I play, I play improv. I've had several requests for, you know, do you have a CD? Do you have a CD? I don't play like that. You know, if I made a CD and and I record it, well, that's, can you play this song? (laughs) Because I don't remember what it sounded like, you know, and and so um, I can sit here and I can play each one of these flutes. and, And the funny thing is that a tune will get caught in my head without me even thinking about it. And. I'll play that same tune all day not even realizing it thinking I'm playing 24 unique songs
2: yeah. <laughs> and
3: it's the same tune but it's because that tune wants to come out you know much like my stories whenever I get out there to do my stories I don't ever go with a prepared program I wait till I get out there and I feel the energy that everybody has around me I and then in my mind those stories start knocking and say, hey, I want to be told today. I want to be told today. I can't sit here and tell you how many stories I know because I don't know. That's the same thing with these songs. As long as I keep playing, I've been playing almost 40 years. I can't sit here and tell you that I played the same song twice, but I'd be lying to you because (laughs) I really don't know. I really don't know. You know, each and every day brings something different. Depending on how I feel, a lot of people say, oh, those songs sound sad. Well, you don't see them in my mind. Mm-hmm. Even though they may be slow, even they they may be soulful, I might be talking about chasing my wife through the forest. You know, <laughs> you don't you don't know what's in my mind. But to me, that's a happy song. Yeah, I can play upbeat songs, you know, and I, and I do at times. But a lot of times, I like to play those old slow, and I, I like to feel that reverberation around me. You know, because when 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 you begin to play, you you do you begin to feel it. You know, a lot of times my eyes are closed because I'm in, I'm in that. You know, I'm in that.
0: Even the instrument itself helps determine the uniqueness of a given song. I'm
2: curious, do you, there's so many different flutes that we're looking at here. Uh huh. Do you, and different, made of different materials and obviously different design. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like the instrument itself somewhat dictates how you play or the things that come out?
3: Oh, most Definitely. Each one of these is, each one of these, you know, I tell the students, I say, each one of these is just like you. Each one of these is just that different. That if I play this one, this one is going to give me a different song than this one. This one is going to give me a different song than this one. I say, and these, because these are living things, because they're wood. These are just like children. Sometimes these won't, these won't play because they're throwing a fit. Sometimes if I don't play them enough, then they'll throw fits and they don't want to be played. So I have to put them up and bring them back out later. You know, uh, they're, they're living things. They're living things. As long as I play them, as long as I'm breathing life into them, they're living, breathing things.
2: You
3: know, it's whenever it, it's whenever we quit playing them, it's whenever we quit using them, then they start to deteriorate and die. That's, that's the sad thing, I, I've seen I've seen flutes and I can tell when a person plays a flute or messes with the flute, because even though, let me see, which, which one is it? Uh, my oldest one that's up here is probably, let me see. And, it, and it's probably, it it's not very old. It's probably about 15 years old that I got here, here on the table. Yes, I, this one and this one right here. You see, they're not, they're not out of shape. They're not, that's because I play them all the time. If I don't play them all the time, they'll dry out. They'll start to crack. That's because they're being neglected. They're they're not being utilized. Everything wants to be used. Everything wants to be used. That's including instruments. They want to be used. Look at this turtle drum. That turtle drum is, man, he's worn out. But he loves it and he's still working. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, my rattle down there, my rattles losing or up here. He's losing scales here and there, but he's still being used. I've had him several years too. So everything wants to be used. Think about yourself. You want to be used. You wanna be you want people to come and, and you want people to interact with you. You want you wanna be a part of somebody's life. You know. And when you don't, what do you do? you deteriorate and pass away that's what happens to a lot of our elders and so we try to keep from that and that, and these are good lessons you know these are everything that you look at everything that you look at has a lesson in it. and how to treat other people how to treat how to treat your own family how to treat yourself how to you know and so so that's what we look at you know as as uh, as those old ones told me said pay attention because everything has a lesson in it everything has a lesson in it and that's what that's what we were told whenever by our elders that any, anything that you do, anything that you're giving away, whether it's my stories, whether it's my songs, whether I'm cooking for you, whether I'm sewing a, a blanket for you, making you a shirt, making you something, whatever you do and and you intend to give that away, you're giving a piece of you away. Always make sure that it's a good you. Because if you I always, tell, I always tell my kids and, and students says, said when you're cooking and you're mad because you don't want to cook and they eat that food, watch them. A little bit after, they're going to have that same attitude because that's what you put into that meal. That's the same thing with anything that you do. If I'm doing my stories and my flutes, if I'm mad about things, those people that are listening, they're going to get that same feeling just a few minutes after I get done because that's what I put into that. So remember that whenever you're doing things and you intend to give that away always do it with good feelings. If you if you're upset about anything, set it down until you feel better, come back and pick it up and restart again. But always pray. Always pray. Always pray. You know, that that's the that's the one thing that that's the one thing that feeds that spirit. You know, whether you believe in it or not, it works. It works. I'm I'm sitting here as a testament to it. I'm sitting here as a testament to it, that it works.
0: Mr. Kingfisher said, Whatever you do and you intend to give that away, you're giving a piece of you away. Always make sure that it's a good you. That reminds me of when we shook hands with Miko Paul, and he told us about the belief that you're giving a piece of yourself when you shake hands. The Porch Creek Indians and other members of Southeastern tribes have given many pieces of themselves to me and my colleagues in the past couple years. They're good pieces, deep down good. I'm learning from what they've given of themselves. I'm also learning how to give and to make sure it's a good me that I'm giving. Pay attention to the moment. Be right in my heart so the song or the story or the words will be right for that moment. Every song is prayer. Every dance is prayer. We worship the Creator with the gifts we give of ourselves. Speaking of gifts, at the beginning of this episode, you heard music of Choctaw dancers at the 2023 Southeastern Indian Festival and a Creek War Dance with audio restoration by Josh McPherson. You can hear more from the Porch Creek Indians in the next few episodes. If you want to dig deeper, and I hope you do, you can explore their wonderful online resources. Their website is pci-nsn.gov. Their YouTube channel is the PBCI Calvin McGee Cultural Department. I've included links to both on the Educator Resources page of my website, hereinalabama.com. That's H-E-A-R. In Alabama.com. I'm Beth McGuinness, and this is here in Alabama.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know hula,